couple of news headlines. These are stories that we filed at Global News a few days ago. On February 17th, here's a headline. Ottawa to shut 15 salmon farms off B.C.'s coast to protect wild fish. 24 hours later, on February 18th, B.C. Indigenous Coalition opposes Ottawa's decision to shut down 15 salmon farms. Here to talk a little bit more about it, perhaps make some sense of the headlines, is Bob Chamberlain, chair of the First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance. Gilagame is uh, Bob Chamberlain's native name. Mr. Chamberlain, Bob, welcome back, sir. It's the first time I've tried to pronounce your name, and I suspect I did a terrible job. Well, I wouldn't say terrible. I thought you did very good, and, and good morning, Sterling. Thank you for having me. Well, good to have you with us. And just those two headlines, contrasting the difference between the two, really puts the boots to the notion that First Nations Canadians are, 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 are a homogenous group constantly involved in groupthink. It's just not the case, never has been, correct? No, that's correct. There's uh, diverse views on different paths forward for every First Nation, and but you know what I find interesting is the you know this coalition. Um, I've yet to see an accurate number from them about how many First Nations are participating under their umbrella. As I understand it, it's a very small number, and it pales in comparison to the 102 First Nations or the vast majority of First Nations in British Columbia that support the removal of fish farms. Right. And when you have such a diversity, of course, now we're talking about the different levels of infringement of Aboriginal rights. Right. So, so let's, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob, let's, let's just remind our listeners, because you and I have had this conversation. It's been ongoing now for a couple of years, and we've talked about Joyce Murray. We had uh, Bernadette Jordan on the program, her predecessor, talking about fish farms and should they be closed. And then there was a court case that saw the, the closure uh, orders uh, set aside due to procedural matters. And now the minister comes out just a couple of days ago and says, it's a done deal. Those 15 salmon farms off the Discovery Islands are going to be canceled as was originally the case. You must have rejoiced, at least, at that final announcement, Bob. Well, I was very pleased, of course, and, you know, for the work that has gone into informing the minister uh, of the situation that is at hand about the impacts from open-neck cage fish farms to wild salmon. And I can see in the statements that she's made where she does speak about scientific uncertainty. And I think that that's a very critical development, and it shows me that Minister Murray has been open to information other than what is being uh, jointly developed essentially by DFO and industry. And this is something that's really going to be beneficial for the wild salmon. Okay, so now this, of course, and the minister has been on television a lot lately talking about the reason for the decision and really making a point, a fairly strong point, about how fish stocks, wild salmon stocks in B.C. are diminishing and how the Discovery Islands represent a fairly uh, important route for the Fraser River sockeye to to leave uh, their their original areas and get out under the Pacific Ocean and into the wild. And they, they only go through a, a very limited area part of which is the Discovery Islands. And so that was an impediment to uh, sustaining, uh, to say nothing of growing stocks, right? No, absolutely, because when you look at the Johnstone Straits, it's uh, essentially a funnel, and the bottom end of that funnel is Discovery Islands. So it's in, in relationship to the top, it's extremely narrow. And with the nature of the water there being highly stratified, any disease pathogen and sea lice uh, shed is going to be there waiting for fish. Uh, my out migrating salmon, but the thing that one of the things that I'm very pleased to hear the minister speak about is focusing on the cumulative effect of the farms located there, because that's something that the Canadian Science Advisory Secretariat 
avoided like the plague, just like they did the same about the true status of Fraser River salmon. So uh, let's talk a little bit, if we can, because you've already start, sort of opened the door. The second story was this: uh, uh, the day after Minister Murray announced the that the closure of the 15 farms would, in fact, go forward, as has been the plan for quite a while now, uh, court cases, etc., notwithstanding. So the next day, our newsroom finds uh, this coalition that is opposed to the decision to shut down salmon farms. So to be fair, how many First Nations people uh, are working in the salmon farming industry, not necessarily just in the Discovery Islands, because it is a fairly widespread industry. And I would assume there are quite a few employees who are First Nations people, Bob. Well, I'm not sure of the exact numbers of how many First Nations are actually working. I know it would differ in places like up in Kittisu versus what's happening in the Neutronal Territory and Discovery Islands. Okay. But, you know, to really take a look at all the different numbers that keep being tossed around about the impact of this. I mean, the government recognized in the transition planning document 1,500 jobs. I've heard industries support that number, and I've heard them talk about over 5,000. So to me, it's a, it's another measure of obfuscation. It's a uh, what you would anticipate from an industry that is going to have to alter its practices. But I don't believe for a moment that, you know, the lights are going to go out on coastal communities because this industry is going to be not as present as it was once before. But I think of the provincial and federal governments need to work together and so they can begin a restorative economy, creating employment, restoring fish habitat, because there are many other aspects that need to be addressed. But this has to be done in conjunction with First Nations. And I just think that it's time that we look and value what healthy and abundant wild salmon stocks mean to this province but also the work that is necessary to get them back to where they once were. So let's talk about the the possibility for restorative uh, government approaches because we all you know we talking about the DFO, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. We always have in the back of our mind a memory of the cod fishery that once existed off the coast of Newfoundland that the Department of Fisheries and Oceans actually managed into extinction. These people are not necessarily reliable, Bob. So there's there's that, there's that element of skepticism that comes into the conversation when you start talking about DFO. Absolutely. That level of skepticism is well-earned. Uh, I think of Dr. Andrew Bateman's testimony at the Standing Fisheries and Oceans Committee this last spring, and where he was involved in four out of nine of these risk assessments, and he categorically spoke about how uh, undue influence, how it doesn't reflect uh, the true outcomes of the science, And so we're seeing that there is still uh, a heavy industry influence and a buy-in by the federal government to promote this industry at all costs. And of course, when you mentioned the cod collapse, that is where the precautionary principle came into Canada's awareness. And we have an opportunity to learn from that. But I don't think that we're going to get as far down the road as we need to, unless, you know, folks like the, the prime minister and the Auditor General and the, the Public Service Commission take a look at what's going on inside DFO as a, in a public transparent process so we can then root out where the issues are and begin to reestablish the DFO as a place where there could be some credible work that Canadians can have confidence in. That's a fairly massive challenge. Final question to you, Mr. Chamberlain. Always a pleasure, sir. When will these fish farms, the 15 in the Discovery Islands area, actually be shut down? Well, as I understand it, they have not been operational since uh, uh, the initial rule, uh, the initial uh, statement from Bernard, Minister Bernadette Jordan. 
Uh, and I understand that through media releases that they've already been deconstructing these farms. So we are now going to remove or see removed or have them not replaced in a place where they simply should not be in relationship to migrating salmon. But then, of course, we have to turn our attention to the transition plan because the risks that are occurring further up the Straits and on the West Coast and other places are still real. And, you know, I'm very happy to hear the minister talk about a precautionary approach to hear her recognize the state of Pacific salmon and to focus on cumulative effects. These are what has been absent for far too long. Indeed. Bob Chamberlain, thanks for this. Always a pleasure. We appreciate your time on the long weekend. You bet. Have the best day.